You're listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, all growing a variety of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. This morning, uh, you can, we are going to be talking about cool flowers with Lisa Mason Ziegler. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome, and you have a great book out on cool flowers, um, which are the ones that we're going to be talking about. And I, when I think about cool weather flowers, um, I think of cottage gardens, grandma's gardens, and things like that, kind of heirloom things. So are most of the cool weather flowers what would be termed old-fashioned type flowers? I believe that you are have hit the nail on the head. It's so true, yes. Um, our grandmothers did grow this garden, and um, not so often in the near past. Um, have you and I grown them, we kind of moved away from it. So, yes, this was Grandma's garden made new again. Yes. And and so you have, I mean, I know they like cooler weather, um, and you have a flower farm in Virginia where you produce cut flowers for market. So how did you get to start on focusing on pretty floral blooms um, and realize that you could actually make a living uh, growing and selling flowers, particularly the cooler weather ones? Sure. Um, I actually was a home gardener, and I had just completed the Master Gardener course. This was probably 21 years ago. And during my pursuit of becoming a Master Gardener, I came across a book called The Flower Farmer. And I read it, and I knew that I had just really found the dream of my life um, about growing cut flowers or growing flowers for a living. Um, the backstory is that I had just met a man and married him that also happened to have come with this great family homestead that had been farmed and gardened for many generations. So it was kind of like a given um, to pursue that. And um, I literally just followed the steps in the book and launched my flower farm in 1998 selling my flowers to local um, florists and um, to Colonial Williamsburg, a resort-type area, and at farmer's markets, and um, was just well-received from the first day, and it's just kind of snowballed through the, the last 17 or 18 years. Oh, wow. And I know when um, people talk about flowers, particularly annuals, they think summer annuals like marigolds and petunias and things like that. Um, So what is different about the cool weather flowers apart from the fact that they bloom a little earlier than the, the summer ones? Sure. Um, those that you just mentioned, um, such like tomatoes and zinnias, those are tender annuals. Those are annuals that grow during the heat of the summer, and when cold comes, they die. Um, cool flowers are hardy annuals. Hardy indicates 
that they not only like cool weather and cold weather, actually, in many places, they thrive under those conditions. And when planted at their optimal time of cool weather, they just perform so much better and, in fact, will bloom well into summer most often um, because they are so well-established because we planted them at the right time. It's really all about timing. And I know that, um, you know, particularly with the cooler flowers, um, how cold can they actually get? And I know the further north you get, um, obviously you get snow cover more consistently. But I, I remember when we were on the, the east coast before, um, you can get very cold without much snow cover. So how does that affect and sort of how cold can these uh, seeds that you put down in the fall or are self-sown in the fall how, how cold can it actually get well it it varies from different varieties of flowers and um actually in cool flowers we put in the back of the book a, a little quick look at reference that tells you the coldest winter that a specific cool flower um will take and for instance Poppies, which is um, the Iceland poppy, um, is one that can go up to zone six. Um, there are some, let's see here, I'm just looking in the book for seeds to be sown. Anchusa, which not a lot of people are even familiar with that. It is a perennial way up north where they don't have heat in their summers, but down here for us, we sow it in the fall and it winters over. It'll be winter hardy to zone three. So there are some. So you just have to know what your winter hardiness is, which there's a map in the book to help you find that, and then find um, your what your zone is, and it'll tell you whether you plant it in the fall, meaning that it will typically germinate into a little baby plant in the fall, and that little plant winters over um, during your winter without much care. Um, otherwise, if it doesn't survive your winters, that means that you just plant it typically six to eight weeks before your last frost date, so just in very early spring. And so that is a little bit like uh, garlic, which we always plant in the fall. Um, but how, um, how hot can they get? I mean, they're obviously they're going to peter out a little bit in the heat, but do, do they grow and flower actually before the, the heat of the summer arrives? And what happens when we get one of those freak springs where... We get very, very hot very early, and then we go back to April weather or something like that. Sure, and that is classic Virginia um, weather that you just described. <laughs> we typically go straight from no snow winters, very cold. Last year, for instance, we were in the single digits, um, digits for many, many nights, which is unusual. We do the low teens, but you just don't hear a five and six degrees where I am in southeastern Virginia. We did it um, last year with no snow. And as you indicated, snow is a real insulating blanket. Um, so those people that get a snow load actually have more protection than those of us that don't have snow. Um, so we classically go straight from winter right into summer here. And that's the big advantage to planting these plants at the, or the seeds at the proper time. When they become well-established before the heat comes, um, we still are harvesting sweet peas typically into July, which is unheard of oh, wow. um, here in Virginia with our hot, humid summers. So you'll find that you get a an earlier bloom from these plants because they were planted and established, as well as an extended bloom from them um, because they are such well-established plants. 
And so what is the difference maybe um, between those and the, the summer annuals as far as deadheading and things like that? Do we still have to, uh, the flat flowers are produced and usually that leads, leads to a seed. And obviously we want some self-seeding. So what is, do you actually pick them before they create the seed or do, are you deadheading in the same way as the, um, the summer annuals? Sure. Um, so out here on a flower farm, of course, um, the whole purpose of growing the flowers is to harvest it as a marketable cut flower or to use um, in our home on a table. So um, we certainly we harvest the flowers long before they produce a seed. And actually the stage in which you harvest a flower um, really affects how long it lasts in a vase once you get it into your home. The other thing that it does is what because we are continually harvesting flowers, which is just a deeper deadheading, you know, for those people that are familiar with deadheading, which just means you're removing the spent old blooms um, to encourage more blooming. We do that very same thing, but we just do it earlier in the process. Um, in a landscape situation, yes, you would if you want to keep the blooms to continually come, you need to deadhead, and that's with any flower, whether it's a summer annual or a hardy annual. I primarily grow annuals on our farm because of the um, a volume of flowers that we can get from an annual versus a perennial, which has a shorter window of bloom. Um, so deadheading or cutting for cut flowers, um, folks that don't practice that don't really understand that it is true. The more you cut them, the more they come. They just constantly bloom. And, you know, we, snapdragons is a huge cool flower crop for us on our farm here. And it's really pretty funny that we could really cut snapdragons, I believe, throughout the summer, which is pretty unheard of unless you plant them at the proper time. But once the summer annuals start for us, zinnias and coxcomb and those types of um, flowers, people don't want to don't want to even see a snapdragon anymore. Um, they're not interested in snaps. They've moved on to the summers. So you can really get these cool season annuals to bloom into the humidity and heat when they're well established from being planted either in fall or very early spring and with practice and deadheading or cutting for cut flowers. And so that, that would include things like the, um, the cosmos, um, which I know, um, when I've grown, grown that, it kind of, it starts out early and then blooms in the summer. Um, and then it self-seeds and it does it again. Is, is that a, a warm, uh, weather self-seeding hardy annual rather than a cool self-seeding annual then? Yeah, that is a tender annual. It is not a hardy annual, um, to my knowledge. We, I mean, it'll self-sow itself from year to year, but it doesn't germinate into a little plant late summer to bloom next spring. Um, so those are, that would be a tender annual. And yes, we, Cosmos are another one if you deadhead or cut it for cut flowers. It will give you so many more blooms. It's very rewarding to practice that. And I, I know with, with Cosmos, which is one I've got out there right now, um, that they are such pretty flowers. Uh, but I've ne never really thought about, I guess, putting them into arrangements. So you just kind of clip, clip them and you just have, you use yours commercially, but um, you could just bring, bring them in inside and put them in a vase quite easily then. 
Oh, yes, and um, the secret to having the longest vase life with some of these flowers that don't typically have a long vase life, which Cosmos is one of those, is you actually harvest it to bring it into your home just as the petals start to unfurl, just as it starts to open. Not Don't allow it to open completely in the garden. Um, out in the garden, it's in the sun, it's in the dry wind, and all of that ages the flower very quickly. If you cut it while it's still just starting to crack open, it will very quickly open indoors, in your home, in the air conditioning, um, and you'll have a better quality flower, and it will last much longer. Oh, wow. Because um, I, I, I know I've tried that once or twice, bringing it in. Maybe I leave it a little too late. I mean, these things are just such beautiful colors, and you can get yeah. such wonderful colors of them. But I, I'm really interested in being able to do more. Um, I've never been able to get sweet peas to grow. And so we'll, get, uh, we'll probably talk about that in the, the next segment, um, because we have to go for our first commercial break, Lisa. Um, but we'll be back talking more about cool flowers with Lisa Ziegler on the Master Gardener Hour. We'll be back in just a moment. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking cool flowers with Lisa Ziegler. And Lisa, we talked about culturing, or the cultural side of how how to grow some of these flowers. So let's um, maybe talk about some of the stars of maybe the earliest ones in the garden. You say the bachelor button is maybe one of the earliest ones um, in in the year? Yes, um, bachelor buttons, um, along with calendula, or better known sometimes as a pot marigold, um, those are the two earliest flowers that we grow. And um, they both also, even their foliage, um, excretes nectar, so they're a really important food store source for native pollinators. 
early in the season when they're really desperate for something. So those are our first bloomers in the garden, are bachelor buttons and pot marigolds. And, and so they, they don't need, uh, they're good for pollinators, obviously. Um, so they don't need anything else to do with, um, I guess, uh, do they need fertilizing first thing in the year to make them bloom that early? Well, um, we are organic, and we do use some organic um, type of um, fertilizers. However, um, typically when we prepare our gardens, we add a dry organic fertilizer when we're preparing. Um, and then everything is planted, and they go through the winter with nothing except for that initial. And then we do um, like to run some seaweed um fish fertilizer, um, either do a soil drench or foliar feed, but we typically wait um, until April, you know, once your day temperatures are coming up to 70 degrees or so, um, and giving them a little, we like to call it, we give them a little bubble bath in um, fish and seaweed, and that kind of gives them the boost, but other than that, we don't do a lot of fertilization. So so if the ground is well prepared beforehand, um, they, they survive pretty easily. Um, so... Um, there's the summer blooming one. Um, so what are some of the good standbys that are cool flowers for that period? And are they still um, planted in the fall or, or for summer blooming do we have to move it to the, the early spring? Well, actually, um, for us, um, we get, you know, what we just spoke of, the bachelor buttons and pot marigolds. That's typically happening for us early April. Um, at the end of April... Then other, all these others start chiming in, you know, snapdragons and bells of Ireland. Um, and typically, we are heavy into hardy annuals. You know, May is full, June is full, and July um, is when they start to, they really don't start to stop blooming. The blooms start getting, the regrowth starts getting shorter, which would be perfectly fine in a landscape. But for us as cut flower farmers, you know, we want snapdragons that are 36 inches, not 22 inches. Um, so, yes, they continue to bloom right through the summer. But I'll tell you the one hardy annual that a lot of gardeners would love to grow, but it escapes them, and it is a July-August bloomer, the hottest part of the summer. However, the plant likes to be established, you know, in very early spring when it's cool, Is and the plant is called Lysianthus. Oh. Are you familiar with that? Uh, my mother grows it. Um, so that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And there's never been an easier plant to grow, and I will tell you that for years as a flower farmer, I didn't grow it because I don't have any greenhouses or hoop houses. It's a symptom of being in the city. I can't have them. And everybody said, you have to have a hoop house. Well, finally, one friend that grew a lot of it said, go ahead and try it. I think you'll do fine. We now currently plant about 10,000 plants of Lysianthus every year and grow it all out in the field. We plant them six to eight weeks before our last frost date, and they bloom out in the field, some as tall. The tallest one I've ever grown is 45 inches. Oh, wow. Um, amazing. And they are, they, for those that aren't familiar with Lysianthus, it looks like a rose. Don't, wouldn't you agree that it looks like a rose bloom? Oh, yes. It's like that kind of cabbage rose type thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. And Beautiful. it comes in purple and pink and white. And I mean, when we have Lysianthus, nobody even wants any other flower. And it lasts a long time in the garden and in the vase. Um, so that's a late bloomer. Um, that's early fall, early spring planted. 
Um, and then there was another one in there that I noticed that I've I've not I've never grown, but I've really just heard of the name, and that's the Godicia. Um, yeah. what, what is that? What is that one? And what, um, what are the cultural uh, year for that one? That is um, an early spring bloomer. Not early, I would say. Um, not as early as the bachelor buttons. It kind of falls into the May category for us, which I would say probably about four to six weeks after your last frost date is when it blooms. Um, and that is an early spring um, planting for everybody. It doesn't winter over um, for us here. I tried it one year, and it was a bit of a disaster. Um, so we plant it the 1st of March. Um, it loves the cool weather. It just can't take deep cold for day after day after day. And um, satin flower is how some people um, know that flower. And um, they're really lovely. They're lovely in a vase in the house. And you harvest them before they even start to open. The minute you can tell what color the bloom's going to be, you can see the outer petals um, come start to grow out, that's when we cut it. And um, it's a delightful cut flower. And, and, and you're actually sowing that one then as a, a plant rather than a um, a seed, right? Well, actually, you know that I did. I actually did plant it as a transplant, um, but I understand now um, that you can also sow it straight in the garden with great results. Um, I found that through research, and I think that indicates that um, in cool flowers. But um, you, so you can sow the seed in the garden, or you can start it indoors even earlier and get a jump. See, that's the benefit of starting indoors. Um, so. Let's just say, you know, you're going to plant it six to eight weeks before your last frost date, which for me is March 1st. Think how much more ahead of the game I am on March 1st to put a plant in the ground instead of putting a seed in the ground. So you're weeks ahead um, so that the blooms will come a little bit earlier and the plants are get more established, you know, quicker. Um, there's just a lot of benefits. We always start seed indoors if the, the plant will grow that way. And, and so the plants don't actually object to being um, transplanted so long as you harden them off first. It's not like they freak out like um, it's kind of some, some flowers don't like to be transplanted, for instance. Right. <laughs> um, we do indicate in the book, I've put written my experience of which way you should use it, how you should start a plant, um, what is the preferred way in my experience, whether it is started indoors or planted out in the garden. Larkspur, for instance, that is one that really needs to have its seed planted out in the garden because it needs a variation on temperature to sprout and germinate. It needs like 55-degree nights and 70-degree days. Well, that's like perfect fall weather. So that's a classic fall-sown, hardy annual, straight out in the garden. You plant it, and um, it sprouts. But if you had tried to start that in your home, it would have never broke dormancy and sprouted because it never got that dip in the temperature um, that does that. Oh, wow. So, so you have to be careful, I guess, which ones um, you you actually put inside and which ones you can uh, put outside. Um, but what, what about maybe late in the year? Um, cosmos, which is a, more of a, um, a, a, a fall type, type or summer blooming one, are there any of the cool annuals that um, are later season? Or are we talking predominantly spring season rather than cool uh, fall weather? Right. Yes, these predominantly, well, it depends on when you plant them. 
Um, so, yes, the wall, those that are fall planted or very early spring planted are typically your April, May, June, and perhaps July, depending on where you are, um, your, your range of temperatures. Um, however, we do plant some of them again, um, start them indoors midsummer to get them to bloom late in the fall. We grow snapdragons and sweet williams um, right up through Thanksgiving. I mean, they're not sensitive to frost, to light frost once they're blooming. Um, so, yeah, and there's a little bit about that in cool flowers, too, how we kind of trick them and um, start them at the time that they're not so happy, but they kind of grow into their season. And um, just wanted to say about the trick about whether how you start your plants, whether indoors or outdoors, should be on your seed packet. And if it doesn't tell you what you how you should start, then you just need to enter the name of your flower into a search engine with sowing instructions and get that information because that is the challenge most people face with starting seeds. They don't know which way to go, indoors or outdoors, um, and then, you know, a few other key steps that really empowers you. And Cool Flowers has a whole chapter on seed starting that addresses that very topic. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, particularly, um, you know, I, I grew up with sweet peas everywhere. Um, and I say, I've always had a challenge with that because I think too often the, the seed packets will say plant after the frost, exactly. which is fine. But too many areas, it, you, you know, we're up to 75, 80 degrees within a couple of weeks of, of that mid-May um, date. Exactly. And, and I think that has always been an issue. So those would be one that, I, that you'd plant fa- the seed fairly early in the year. Yes. Um, sweet peas, depending on where you are, um, I believe they are hardy. We I've listed in the in cool flowers. It's hardy to zone seven, and I will tell you that it was really difficult to research this book because I didn't invent this fall planting. This is what our grandmothers did, but it really fell out of fashion in the last fifty years. So I, I was really having a hard time finding some reference information. I had to go to all pre nineteen fifty garden books to find it, and here in zone seven. We fall plant um, sweet peas, and they winter over. Um, put we you know good drainage and um, put them in an area where they're not getting blister wind all winter, and they'll do just fine. Those that are in zone six, set, you know six five and up in more north, would be planting them right now. Uh, we have a lot of people that are planting sweet peas right now and sprouting them, and um, I find that it's better to plant a little transplant this time of the year. It's easier to get the seeds to germinate indoors, a little bit of warmth, and then plant your vine out in the garden. Ooh, and and they they grow kind kind of fairly happily um, in the in the spring when that uh, arrives. Um, and, and these are typically very very vining type plants, Correct. right? So so you put the um, the support for them before, or, or I mean they'd be great along a fence or something like that, right? Yes, and I have actually grown them with and without support. If you're going to grow them without support, it's very beautiful and very doable. I've planted a six-foot, um, I mean, a, a straight row, six inches apart with the vines, and I just mulched with leaves, six-foot on both sides, six-foot out, and that because I knew that those vines were going to ramble and just grow. And I will tell you, I had the most beautiful hedgerow of sweet peas, but they take a lot of space. 
So growing them on a support, um, typically next to a trellis or a fence, um, does great. And um, you can install, you know, support netting um, in a freestanding garden that you don't, you know, there's all kinds of fun little trellises that you can make um, to put sweet peas on. And they do do better. They are more disease resistant when they're growing up because they get more air. They're easier to harvest. And I will tell you, nobody needs more than a six-foot row of sweet peas because if you cut them um, you'll get a handful every day oh and and they they've got beautiful scents and they are just so reliable but you know we need to take our final commercial break here lisa but come back and listen more about cool flowers with lisa ziegler and we will be right back the disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find archives at americaswebradio.com and you can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers. This morning, we are talking with Lisa Ziegler about cool garden flowers. And we talked a little about the lifetime of the flowers. Um, So let's delve into a little more about growing them. And one of the things we were talking in the break about pansies and um, that's something that i've seen grown and i've never really paid much attention to them but you said that they are kind of the poster child of the the cool weather plants because people plant them in the fall is that right yes um cool flowers is about hardy annuals and pansy is perhaps um the most well-known hardy annual and i always relate that um in the book and when i talk about it because so many people realize Oh, yeah, I do plant those in the fall or in the almost dead of winter, and they do survive winter, and then they just rejuvenate and thrive in very early spring and just spring back to life. Well, I like to say that pansies have about 30 or 40 kissing cousins, um, and those are the flowers that are in my book, you know, snapdragons and bells of Ireland and sweet peas and all these flowers that we kind of always struggled to grow, and it's all because of timing of when we plant them. And um, planting them when you plant pansies. If you see people planting pansies in the fall where you are, the majority of the book flowers and cool flowers you can fall plant. If you just plant them early spring, then you would follow suit with these flowers. So it's pretty easy. Just You have to get over the fear of the cold killing them, and I understand that. 
Um, I go out all the time after, a, you know, we had 19 and 14 degrees here a couple weeks ago for several days. And I went out and looked under, um, the, pulled the mulch back, holding my breath, and there they were. The flower, <laughs> you know, the plants are still there. I, I still don't believe it after 20 years of doing it. Oh. So I understand. Oh, and, th- and that, that actually is the beauty of, of, I think, spring, when you see all these things coming back. Um, but let's talk a little about the cultural conditions of, of these cool annuals. Snow cover and frost and cold weather, which most of us have to deal with, is that essential for some of these things? Or are they like rhubarb and lilacs that as you get further south, they, they, they won't grow because they haven't got that cold weather? Um, there are a couple of them that do need um, a specific amount of cold larkspur. Um, Pat comes to mind, which we call that the Southerner's Delphinium. Um, it needs like six weeks of 55 degrees at night. But other than that, it's not that the cold treats the seed to make it sprout, um, which because most when we plant these in the fall here where I am, um, they're they're germinating within 30 days of planting, so the cold doesn't really have an effect on that. Um, And the varieties that are suggested in the book do not need what is called vernalization, which means exactly what you said, a cold treatment, a period of cold weather to make them bloom. So you can, you know, if you start getting down into lower Georgia um, and then down into Zone 8 and the top of Zone 9, many of these can definitely be fall planted and will produce blooms without freezing weather. And and what about drainage? I'm assuming that these things need good drainage. Um, but certainly, you know, melting snow, particularly when it's on top of frozen ground, um, doesn't that kind of pool around and, and sort of cause a lot of rot and things like that? It could, and that's one of the steps that you take um, is to ensure that the area that you use has excellent drainage, um, and there's steps in the book to help you improve that. And also you can, you know, do raised beds and some even large containers if you have a drainage problem. But you can usually fix that, and that is perhaps the demise of many, um, not only cool flowers, hardy annuals, but a lot of bulbs also. If we have those wet winters, which we've had a very wet winter this year, and when, what you'll learn is when you provide that great drainage for them, um, the rain really it fuels the plant to even become more established. And I've already gone on the record to say that this is going to be a fabulous spring, even though we're having some really cold weather. We've had some not-so-cold weather and a, a suitable amount of rain, which means my plants are growing and getting better roots every day because of that. So they'll be even more ready to take off come spring. Um, so the rain can be a bonus if you provide proper drainage. And it's all about opening up your soil, adding a lot more compost than most people um, think, and um, just really get your soil healthy and open and let it be a big sponge and you'll be in good shape. Okay. Um, So I guess now that we've missed kind of the fall planting part, um, so... Is where, where into spring can we start these? If I've, for instance, for so, some reason, I've, I've got, um, I guess, lupins and, and hollyhocks in front of me. Um, can those be planted 
above the snow? I mean, if the snow's slowly melting, or should I wait for the snow to melt and then just sprinkle them outside now in February, sure. or should we wait till maybe March, April time? Right. So typically, um, first, hollyhocks are what is, I don't grow hollyhocks, so I may not be totally correct about this, but I believe that they're a biennial, meaning they do need cold. They're not referred to as a hardy annual. So I would keep your hollyhock seeds perhaps until next fall, or you can plant them now and you might get a rose out of a plant, but you're probably not going to get a bloom. Um, on the other hand, um, the lupins, we cl- t- typically you can plant those as any hardy annual, six to eight weeks before your last frost date. When is your last frost date? Mid-May or I think we're mid, yeah, we're mid-May, I think. Okay. So six to eight weeks before mid-May is, you know, when the window of opportunity of when you would like to plant those seeds. And the earlier, the better to allow them. And yes, I've heard because we don't get a lot of snow load here, um, I haven't experienced it, but I have heard numerous northern gardeners refer to that they do exactly what you just said they sprinkle the seeds in the snow and as the snow melts um, it waters them in and um, and gets a great stand Um, so all the flowers and cool flowers everybody no matter where you live can plant six to eight weeks before your last frost date um, and to allow them to get rooted in and get established before the heat comes. For those of us that are in Zone 6 and South, which is kind of the Mason-Dixon line, Maryland um, and South, um, the big benefit is the best plant to get is fall planted. So you can plant them now and you'll have a great stand of flowers knowing in your mind that if you plant next fall, you'll have even a better stand of plants, taller, more abundant, less carefree, and more carefree. Um, and so it'll be kind of a, a test run for you. Um, and, okay, um, so, but when you do put them in, in the fall, you, do I understand that you don't have to actually protect them, um, particularly as we talked about that, that spring weather that we, where you get, I mean, two years ago, um, you know, we got that really warm February and everything started blooming and then March came um, and everything fell apart. Um, do you have to protect them at a certain stage when they've started that spring growth? No, um, we actually, because they are winter hardy, they really don't require any protection. However, um, we do use what's called row cover here on our farm because we're in a super windy location and we also have deer. So covering them after we plant them in the fall just allows them, protects them from the wind, and then it keeps the deer from grazing all winter. Um, it does give four degrees of frost protection, but four degrees, you know, with a cover doesn't really help when you're down to, you know, 15 degrees. So it's not required. It's just an added tool that we use. Um, So we've had those summer winters, too, where, you know, in January we'll have three days at 70 degrees and then it goes back to 25. And we just kind of let the plants go. There's really nothing you can do to protect them. And I haven't found that it's really necessary to offer any kind of protection. Um, So, you know, this is perhaps one of the most fuss 
free gardens you can grow. And it, plant, it sounds kind of scary leaving them out. <laughs> I, I know it does, and I'll hold your hand, Kate. <laughs> Let's plant some stuff and go. I'm telling you, particularly if you look at, you know, Bupleurum. I don't know if you're familiar with that plant, which is a beautiful garden plant. It's a great cut flower. Beneficial insects absolutely love it. It's a strong reseeder, meaning once you get it in your garden, you're always going to have it, which is a bonus for us. It is super cold hardy. Um, we've even had row cover that was laying directly on the little six or seven inch plants, and we had an ice storm. I mean, a really bad ice storm. And so it froze the road covers to the plants. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have signed their death certificate that, you know, they're having more damage than anybody else because they've got this cover on them and now it's frozen. Never even knew anything happened to them. Oh, wow. Um, so I lost a lot of sleep, you know, for weeks over that. Um, so, I'm, I mean, it's really, really true that these plants, they don't just like cool weather. They thrive in cool and cold weather. And you just have to, once somebody gets it, once they figure out what their winter hardiness zone is and which plants are really hardy through their winter and they fall plant that plant in the right place and get it, you know, watered in and doing well, it just goes through winter like a champ. And it'll be your first blooming flowers and another great example of a really early bloomer that is really um, an easy keeper flower is bachelor buttons so oh. underused in people's gardens oh yeah and it comes in such beautiful colors um, but, oh and i'm so glad to hear you say that most people just think of blue but they do come in other colors don't they oh yes they, they do kind of uh, i think there's a pink one and there's just so many different colors in them yeah yes um and uh, what about deer? You briefly mentioned the cover to um, protect them from deer. Are these um, likely to be eaten by deer because they are so green early in the, the year? We don't have, um, of course, we keep them covered during the hard part of winter, um, but they're very small then. And, you know, once, you know, mid-March comes around here, depending on what kind of spring we're having, that's when we uncover them. And as they're starting to sprout up, you know, and grow upward, and we do spray for deer here. Um, I'm, a, I'm an urban farmer, by the way. I'm in the middle of the city. I mean, I'm surrounded by 200,000 people. Oh. <laughs> and we still have deer. I'm right along a river. And we have quite, no, we don't have serious deer pressure like a lot of people do, but we have a family or two that live in a patch of woods that adjoins my property. And they come over here, and they typically, um, they don't like, which surprises me, they don't eat snapdragons for us. I mean, they walk past thousands of snapdragons in bloom, you know, but they'll love to go get the campanula. Um, so many of the hardy annuals we have found, deer don't favor them. Um, and the only one that we really have to spray to keep them from nibbling is campanula, which is um, Canterbury Bells. Okay, and, so, um, so, it's a, like sweet. so it's a lot easier then than the, the, the summer yeah. annuals. Yeah. But, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. Um, but come back, everyone, and to listen to more about cool flowers with Lisa Ziegler on the Master Garden Hour. We will be right back. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. hope you're enjoying the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We have been talking about, um, with Lisa Ziegler, about cool garden flowers. Um, and it's a great book with lots of details about how to, to do this, Lisa. Um, and it's on the market right now, is it? Yes, it is available. Um, and you can find it in bookstores and you can find it on my own website. Um, the name of um, my farm and my business is thegardenersworkshop.com, and um, we have a, a lovely store there where you'll find all the seeds for hardy annuals that are in cool flowers as well as summer um, annuals. And um, we have the book, and we have book kits that come with seeds. So, um, yeah, you can um, find it there. And, and one of the things I noticed in there, um, you talk about having a, a cutting garden specifically for cutting, which is a very, very Victorian idea, I think. And I've always thought that you had to have a lot of room for the cutting garden. But you say that you can do um, it in, in as little as a 4 by 10 area. I mean, that's an amazingly small area that you can, I mean, that's almost a, a standard raised bed in a community garden. Sure, and I really feel like that is the first step to success. The death of most cutting gardens is that people don't cut it enough because they're getting so many flowers. So by having a very small 3 by 10 foot designated cutting garden that is not going to be part of your landscape you know you're not you're not growing it to make it look pretty to see um, from your kitchen window you're growing it to cut flowers to bring into your home to share with friends and when you set it up like a cutting garden and prepare the soil and plant the right things in there and then do practice the golden rule of cutting it every single week, at least once, preferably twice, no matter what. If you don't need flowers, give them to a neighbor or put them in the compost because by constantly cutting, it makes a constant 
supply of fresh new flowers coming on. And um, I've been lecturing and teaching on the 3 by 10 summer cutting garden and the fall cutting garden for over 10 years, and I get notes of joy from people. Um, They just can't believe how many flowers you get, and it's all because you cut it on a regular basis. And and then, of course, you need a companion book, I guess, on on how to arrange them in the house, which is always my sticking point, um, (laughs) because I have no artistic talent. (laughs) Neither do I, and everybody. My sister is kind of, we don't even really do arrangements. We just do handheld bouquets. And um, my sister's rule is, is that every color goes together. And also what makes it really simple for folks is to gang three or five flowers that are the same together. So pick up, you know, three snapdragons and hold them in your hand and pick up three or five sweet William and put them next to that. And it kind of makes your bouquet a little more organized looking and a little easier to manage. And um, the place where a lot of people fall off, and um, it's because it's the way we buy them also, they have such long stems. We love to use gravy boats as bouquet um, bases because they're short and they're wide. And we sometimes cut our 30-inch stems down to 6 inches and put them in that gravy boat packed. And that way you can put it on your kitchen table and you can see the person sitting across from you and you can admire the tops of the flowers, which is what it's all about. And it really is simple. And if you're struggling, just pick all the same flower and put them in a vase and cut them short. Oh. That's where most people fall off. It's The stems are so long, they're lobbing all over the place. Whack them off. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I guess if, you, if you're, you're doing a designated um, area for all these cut flowers, and may, maybe have, have a few on the, in the, the flower garden, but you, a different right. area for the cutting. Because I think that's a lot of people have this hang-up that if they're in the flower garden, you're not supposed to touch them. Um, yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, um, you do talk. You you say you do work workshops on on this. Um, do you take the book so people can get um, a signed copy of the book or something like that? We do. Um, I go all over doing talks and lectures, and um, if we're within. You know, three or four hours, five or six hours of Virginia, um, I often drive because we're requested to bring along what we call our little pop-up shop, and that's where I bring the the books and some related gardening tools and the seeds um, for that group to shop following a workshop, and it really is a lot of fun. Um, so, yes, I, I do. I really enjoy sharing and um, empowering other people to garden. That's um, that's as good for me as, as farming and um, just getting the home gardeners to know that you know we can really grow anything we want when we um, start from the ground up it's all about the soil um, and how to get it healthy and happy and everything else truly falls into place and I'm living proof Um, we haven't used any chemical uh, or synthetic products fertilizers pesticides or anything on our farm for 10 years Um, we're well known for our pristine blooms and the quantity that we produce. My farm is only three acres. On that, an acre and a half is in production, and typically only half of that is being produced, you know, being harvested from at any given time. And we produce about ten to 15,000 stems of flowers a week in season. Wow. So 
if we can do it, anybody can do it. Oh, wow. I mean, that, that's an awful lot of flowers to be taking around. Um, and what, what about uh, if somebody wanted um, maybe to invite you to do, do a talk? Uh, they, they were within maybe a couple of hours from you. How would they um, may, maybe contact you? Can they do that through the Gardener's Workshop web- website? They can. There's a menu there that says workshops, and um, you can fill out the form and submit it, or I'd be happy. Our phone number is also on the website. I would be happy to chat with you about that, and I've spoken to state master gardener conventions and garden clubs and um, just an array of different groups. Um, and would be happy to, to discuss that. And I, I would imagine that the talks have got some beautiful pictures in it um, because the book cer- certainly has lots of lovely pictures in it. Um, and But what about social media um, and do you have a blog or anything like that that people can access to keep track of what you're do- doing, maybe to prompt them um, to sure. think about, about now you should be doing? Sure. Um, on our website, which our website was just relaunched two weeks ago, we've had our website totally rebuilt. It's beautiful. Um, you can connect with us um, through our website on Facebook. Um, we have quite an active Facebook page. We have a wonderful golden retriever named Babs, who is kind of our farm dog, we call her, although she lives the life of a, a couch dog. <laughs> but anyway, she we're very active on Facebook, and I have a blog, um, and we have a lot of um, how-tos on our website, um, beautiful photographs, galleries, and as you said, our, my programs are full of beautiful photographs. My sister, who works with me here, takes all the photographs, um, so we have thousands upon thousands, um, which oh, is really wow. rich in our business. You know, people want to see beautiful flowers. Yeah, and and I noticed um, also that you had a, a subscription program. Maybe, is that uh, that works like a, a CSA for vegetables, where they can get a fresh bunch of flowers or bouquet of flowers every week from the farm? Yes. Yes, we, we, because we do grow so many flowers, we do market them in a lot of different ways. And a bouquet drop-off service here in our local area um, is something that we do a lot of, especially for businesses. Um, and we do. We drop a fresh bouquet off into your vase every week. And um, that is another um, whole area of, um, you know, touching with our local customers and making them aware of us. And we now sell to um, two upscale kind of supermarket chains, and um, it's really good to us. So we sell to florists um, and to supermarkets and then through our subscription drop-offs and a CSA-type program. And, and I, th- I think, you know, the, the book particularly is, is beautifully produced with lots of lovely flowers in it. And I think it's inspiring because, to me, it's something you can do in winter. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and too too often, you know, you you've got that that starting point of, of five to six weeks before the last frost date. You're starting the seeds and the tomatoes and the peppers and the annuals and things like that. This is something you can do now, which is exactly. great. Exactly. And you know, the other thing is for the fall planting, there's several of the flowers that like to be transplanted, and so it's great to be able to go indoors in the heat of summer and start plants that you'll then be planting out in the fall season. So it is. It's a great thing to um, have some a whole new season. It really brings you a whole new season in the garden. And and I think these these are all the old fashioned plants. Um, are there any new ones? Maybe that, that our grandmothers didn't um, grow that maybe have come onto the market that you enjoy growing in this way too. Or are these all, yeah. all old fashioned traditional plants? I'm. Um 
I think that most of these had been around. Lizzie Ampas, I'm not so sure if grandmas knew about her. Um, but most of these have been around the block, you might say. Um, so they have been around. How popular they are, um, you know, you don't know unless we can start reading some grandma gardening journals. Um, but, yeah, most of these have been around and um, are just tried and true. Yeah, and, and another one that I've just noticed in here, uh, the Lambada. Uh, that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a Monada one. Um, I haven't come across that. It is the nicest bee balm. Um, it looks different um, than most of them. It's got a different appearing bloom, and it, for us, doesn't seem to fall victim to powdery mildew quite as quick, and it is not... Um, it is not as um, invasive, you know, how some bee balms can be a little pushy in the garden, and we have not found that to be true. And, and they, they enjoy the, the hot summer weather as well, um, yes. which, which is great. And I love how you've all organized. How, how many um, plants um, are in the, the book that you, that you use as, as kind of with all the, um, the, the details? Um, there's 30 plants featured in Cool Flowers, 30 different flowers. Oh, wow. And for each one of them, and I like that you've got deer resistance on on that list uh, and whether they can be used in a container. Obviously, some of them can't. Um, And uh, you've you've sort of, you mentioned kind of how much sun and things things they want, which is great, and how to keep the blooms. Um, So it's it's basically a... um, an all-step guide to getting these great old old-fashioned blooms and using them in so that, as blooms for the cut garden. Yes, yeah. It really does t- hold your hand and helps you prepare and where to locate and then how to keep the blooms coming and how to start from seed. Yeah. Um, well, um, as I said, we're, we're kind of at the the end of the show, Lisa. Um, but but thank you. This has been great, and I think it's so. It's wonderful to have something to do this time of year. Um, so thank you so much for the tips for, for that. It's been great My fun. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, okay, everyone, that is the show for today. Thank you for listening to the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We will be back next week with another show talking all about gardening and gardens. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.